and welcome back to the Y Hockey Periodical Podcast. New year, new decade, same Y Hockey, although, since it is the start of a new year and a new decade, I decided that it would be better if I didn't complain about how the Panthers don't have defensemen for a show. So what I've decided to do instead is bring on a guest, somebody I've wanted to have on this show for quite some time, and if you've read what I write about hockey, particularly Florida, you'll know that I use this man's work quite a bit. Uh, Sean Tierney, Charting Hockey. Hello, Sean. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, too. Glad we could finally uh, find the time to connect and do this. Yeah, we tried to set this up, I think, a year ago, and it didn't work, but it's it's better now. It's a perfect time, and because you're now doing this full-time, I think all of the analytics folks are now doing this full-time, and you have your own website. When we would have had this up last year, you were on Tableau still, which is a website I remember posting old bad stories to for journalism school classes, so... Have you graduated, I guess, now that you got your own website, something like that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's still, uh, Tableau is the backbone of, of what I'm doing, for sure, but it's graduated to that uh, sort of next space, so it's more accessible now, which is nice, and, and like you said, now that it's a, a full-time thing, it makes it easier to sort of go out for all those connections and, and things that I didn't always have time for in my past life, so it, it's nice to circle back and be able to do these sorts of conversations now. It's funny because now you think about that we're starting a new decade and a new year, and you think about where this stuff, particularly analytics, was, and I can remember it just even sort of starting, you know, over certain teams on Twitter back in the days when Twitter was less bad than it is now. But now it's a full-time job for so many people. It feels like everyone uses it in some shape or form, and the NHL has botched it, so therefore it's it's really in now. Everything the NHL picks up on, they, they screw up. It's inevitable. So what does it feel like now for you, now that it, you have a full-time website, you have a full-time job doing this? Does it feel real now? Is it graduated from sort of a hobby? Yeah, well, I think even if I'm not the prime example of it, many people in the space are where, like you said, you know, if you look back at the beginning of the decade, didn't even really exists except for the outer margins of the internet and now it's it's the kind of thing where in the middle of the decade there was the sort of eye test versus analytics war that went on for a long time where the two sides are trying to find a way to coexist and and i think now you know teams would almost feel embarrassed to say that they don't have some plug into the analytics world somebody on staff who's in charge of advanced data and and we're going to see that get even more pronounced as tracking data comes from the nhl when it finally does arrive whenever that happens to actually be so yeah it's been you know a decade of it becoming real you know not just for me not just for the people in the space but I don't think NHL teams can say that they're uh, anything but analytics friendly in this new world and that's just going to deepen as we go you have to have some ability to speak that language and use it uh, if you want to be a modern franchise so that's where they're all going which ultimately is exciting and better for the product I think. Well, you just hope it doesn't become, no one becomes the Astros, basically. That's all my only hope. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, uh, that's a cautionary tale in a whole bunch of different ways, too. And uh, yeah, well, I mean, it also we have a lot of other issues that hockey has, that, that yep. Astros story. And that, that's, that's basically, it's a matter of finding the balance. I say that. That's what we try to say here. It's, it's not one or the other. How do you use both? And we're going to get into a classic example of that when I ask you about a certain goaltender who plays for a certain team at a certain point later in the show. But I want to talk about you personally because your position in the space, to me, stands out as the quadrants. That's the thing that I know you for. For a lot of other people, there's a certain thing that I think we all follow them for and we all know 
you know, for Micah, it's maybe the heat maps for Corey, it's zone entries, things of this nature. And so many people have their own little thing that they've brought in. You brought the quadrants. And I'll get to your whole background in this space in a second, but the quadrants is a thing that, for me, it's so helpful because we all are not good enough to put this stuff together and calculate it on our own, but we're all visual learners. And if you put things in a quadrant with four pithy little words, everybody can understand that. And that to me is something that you've done that I think it's helped a lot of people. And I, I see it everywhere now when I see sports analytics, it's not just hockey. And it's not your idea, but you've brought it into the hockey space. So you feel about like, like that's kind of like your baby or the thing that you kind of feel like the most proud of, because that's the thing when I think of your work, that's the thing that I think of the most. Well, I think, um, and, and so the quadrants and the idea of these, as you put it, pithy labels and um, the scatterplot idea, that's something that when I showed up in the space, Micah Blake McCurdy at Ineffective Math was doing this and, and it just caught me, like you said, that, that visual as a quick snapshot where even if you're not well-versed in the stats that you're looking at or you're not totally sure about how they're calculated, you can look at this and see teams relative to each other and you get that quick label, and it sort of just gives you a sense of, you know, this is what is going on, and it's easy to see how this could be the bridge into finding out more. So for me, if that's how people think of my work, I think that's really flattering, and that's something I would love to, to think is associated with me. My previous work is as a teacher, and so that, that visual that you can offer people as a quick way of explaining a whole bunch of stuff in a snap, I think is really important. And, you know, Twitter isn't a place where people come necessarily with long attention spans. So if you want something that can kind of have some punch and communicate some data really quickly, I think this is a, a fairly decent way to do it. So, yeah, if I haven't become associated with that in any way, it's uh, I, I'm happy. I think it's a, a convenient way to start a conversation, not where I'd want it to end, but a place to start it. It's easily digestible. And of course, you have it on Twitter, too. And Twitter, easy picture. Everybody can see it boom you share it and it's done right that to me is the most simple story i think of that quadrant and when you could do it with all different things it's easily translatable too and you can add stuff on it it's a bit, it it's a good backbone for future discussions which is interesting so let's talk about your background how you came into this you said you're a teacher i think a lot of people who come into this come in from from different angles and that's the one thing i love about this space is that you find people who come in from whether it be academic backgrounds or other backgrounds, they have this love of hockey and they want to put it together. So you come from a teaching background. What else is the background of how you went from where you are to now running a full-time site doing this? Yeah, so that was that was the day job up until, you know, sort of leaving it for, for hockey full-time this year. Um, I guess the sort of medium or longer version is, um, you know, hockey's always been something that I followed as a fan and was super interested in. And the story that I tell is uh, my father ran a, runs a card shop still. And so a lot of my unpaid forced labor for him was you know, flipping cards over on the back and sorting them in order to build sets. And so when you spend, you know, sort of a childhood looking at the back of cards instead of the front, uh, you're sort of inundated with the numbers that go behind all the different players' stats. And I think, you know, for me, that's kind of maybe where, where the idea of being interested in numbers came from. Um, when I came to Twitter initially, uh, Analytics was just sort of sinking in. Uh, Extra Skater was kind of a big site. War on Ice hadn't showed up just yet, but was around the corner. And numbers were just starting to catch on as a way to dig deeper. And I wanted to write about sports and I wanted to have something to offer that wasn't just sort of, I like this player or this player scored 15 goals, so they're definitely going to be good. 
Um, I wanted a little bit more, something that seemed more repeatable or offered an, an edge in, in writing. And it, it's actually interesting, you know, talking to you as a Florida Panthers, um, you know, expert. Uh, my first piece was on David Booth and what Leafs fans could expect from David Booth as he joined the team. And I, I still think, you know, I just wanted something more than this is how many goals he scored last year. I wanted to talk possession. I wanted to talk other things. And so, um, you know, that was sort of where I started. And then the, the last sort of big push into Tableau and going with this real visual heavy approach, um, I still credit Emmanuel Perry, who ran Corsica uh, for years before moving away from it. Um, he found Tableau and said, this is a great tool and people should take a look. And I took it really seriously and spent you know years sort of learning the ins and outs of how it can visualize data and make it kind of appealing and a nice bridge for people to join into the space. So. Um, you know, kind of a, a weird lifelong progression to getting to this strange hockey pictures for a job moment. But uh, yeah, I think that that's kind of how how I wound up in this space. And it's something that maybe is exciting for somebody listening to because none of that is, you know, I didn't go to NASA. I don't have um, these really difficult to acquire degrees. This is something other people can can do if you're interested and willing to put in the time as well. It's hard to learn, as I say. I got a five on my AP calculus exam, but I went to journalism school for a reason. I wasn't great at math. Uh, you know, I was good at writing. I like history. I watch a lot of history videos on YouTube uh, because, well, watching the Panthers sometimes can be frustrating. So why not read what's about Roman history? It's a lot more fun. Uh, <laughs> as you mentioned it, you would go from David Booth, who was the only 30-goal scorer for the Panthers until Jonathan Marchessault did it, which is the weirdest connection ever and a thing that no human being should know about except I know about it because I follow <laughs> this team for far too long. Uh, so in terms of now... You do all of these things. I think, obviously, the quadrants is what we talked about is so great. But then there's also the heat, the shot maps, which is another thing I like. The bar graphs, which works for expected goals, goals saved above average, all these things. And I think the one thing that happened in the early days of analytics, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, was that we didn't really have those visuals. We had them in some way. I remember going to the D.C. Hockey Analytics Conference since 2015, and as it was just starting to really become a bit of a thing, and the visuals weren't quite there yet, and Twitter was different then. Now we have these visuals, now we have more space to work with, and I think that's made the discussion better, right? Now that we have more visuals and these visuals are, are popping up on Twitter everywhere and everyone uses them, I think that that's made this discussion go down a lot easier rather than it's just, oh, it's numbers versus whatever you want, right? Yeah, I, I, would, I think I definitely agree with that. And, and we didn't have um, you know, all the tools that are now available. They were just sort of, People were figuring out that R could be used to produce, uh, you know, visuals that made sense or Tableau is something that a few people have tapped into as a way that you can take those numbers. And when you're looking at 140 characters kind of back in the day and maybe didn't have a chart to go with it, you're kind of just yelling text at people. And that's not the most um, engaging way to start a discussion. And there's no visual hook to bring somebody into some of those classical teaching or, or writing tools that people rely on to be interesting and entertaining. Now we have it. We have a little more space, like you said, to share thinking and add context to what you're saying. Charts are kind of an expectation if you're going to make a point about something to do with data. And it does, it, in the first place, it offers people an opportunity to understand what you're trying to say, which I think is necessary if you're going to have meaningful discussion. And then you can add some of that context so people can understand what the chart is trying to communicate. And between those two things, you know, you're limited in characters, but a lot of understanding can be communicated in a pretty quick and punchy way now. And and maybe that is part of the story of how 
um, some of those battles that used to happen on Twitter, uh, you know, between eye test and analytics people, some of it went away and maybe it's because we just have more tools at our disposal for, for having conversations that are more meaningful. Do you find yourself influential because a lot of the people that have come up after you are not, they're not aping your style. And I think that that's not the way you should think about this, particularly because the more information, the better. Do you think that though, the way that you've kind of helped the, the style and the graphs and that visual aid sort of thing has kind of helped the discussion along because now you've got more people, you've got the evolving hockey twins that do a lot of this. You've got other people that are using this in a very visual kind of way. Do you think you kind of helped push it along personally from the numbers to now being numbers and this easy digestible visual that everybody can kind of figure out? Uh, I, I mean, I'm hesitant to uh, assign myself too much credit for it, but I definitely think some of the people that were first in the space, again, you know, the, the Micah McCurdy's of the world um, were people that were really influential for me. And I've tried to be, you know, a contributing member of that stream of people that are doing that work. And so, um, you know, to the extent that I, I'm fortunate that lots of people follow and lots of people use the charts in articles that they write or just on Me. Twitter themselves. And, and, and right, exactly. And, and so um, I hope that I've been, you know, sort of part of that push that you can be on Twitter and you can use charts to prove stuff about hockey and you don't have to descend into every uh, battle that is out there. You can kind of, you know, just be positive and, and share share stuff that has some meaning for some people and isn't everyone's cup of tea and that's okay. So I hope I've contributed to that. I, <laughs> I hesitate to say influential, but definitely hope that I was part of that wave of people that have been doing this work. Yeah, it, it seems like, well, it seems like, it, again, with everybody coming together and they've all put their own unique spin on it, which is, again, the good part about a new space is that you could put your unique spin on it. And for you also, you've stayed public. You know, some of these people, they go to work for teams and you don't hear from them again and you lose all of that work. But for you, and Micah said this, and, and Corey said this, and we've had them on the show, and I'm assuming, you know, involving hockey twins, and a lot of other people would say this. The staying public is the other thing about this, because as more teams hire uh, people to work in this space, and there's the demand, my always, my biggest fear was like, because at the early days, it's the people who were good at it left. We lost extra skater. We lost cap friendly really quickly. But then somebody else came in and filled in the void. Our, what was cap geek? I'm sorry. We still have cap friendly. I get them mixed up all the time. But And for you, is it important for you like to feel that you can contribute to this publicly as opposed to working for a team or what's the reason why you've decided to go this route as opposed to working for teams which i'm assuming some have probably come and tried to talk to you yeah and i mean some of it you know some you can do on the side and if you don't um if publicizing it isn't of value then you can kind of do some work on the side and, and maintain a public facing profile so um that's part of the story which has made it possible to stay public I'm also really lucky that um, I have the job with the Bulldogs at a different level of hockey. And so, you know, we were able to agree that NHL stuff was was good to share and just limit myself from speaking on things that um, were at different levels of hockey, which was a really nice compromise, uh, allowing me to, you know, sort of join a team in a formal way and have that ex exposure and that experience, but also remain public for the NHL. I think, um, I do think that it's really important that um, some people stay out in this space public, but I don't worry about it too much. Uh, I think it was Daniel Wagner that had a piece the other day talking about the best sites that we've lost in the past decade. And the interesting part of that story is every time someone disappears, someone new comes into the space and fills the void and advances the field. So even if somebody like, uh, you know, Micah is very clear about wanting to remain hired by the people and not by a team and 
Um, you know, Evolving Wild is the kind of site that I look at and think, you know, it's a scary thought that some team, you know, wisely should hire them out of the space or whatever. Um, even though those those things give me a little bit of trepidation or fear, um, somebody is always waiting in the wings, waiting for the opportunity and ready to sort of fill the space. So even if some of these people do disappear along the way, someone will rise up to fill the space and move it forward. That's what we've seen in the past. So I have a lot of faith that that's how it'll go in the future, even if some of what we have today does disappear. I figure that that's probably the way to go. Because in the early days, though, we, we really didn't know, like, was somebody going to fill this space? I think that was, I, I, be, I, I imagine me thinking that in the past, and I, I can imagine even you, like, thinking that perhaps in the same, in the same way. Because when we lost some of those early sites, you went, oh, no, are, are we actually going to get them back? Because it was so new and so hot at the time, and, and in many ways controversial in air quotes, which it really wasn't. But, you know, we, we didn't know whether we were going to be able to get something like this. Now, time has proven that that was the case, that it would continue to kind of self-replenish. Now you figure it's going to, but you never know. Maybe NHL teams will get smart at some point. Uh, let's actually talk about the league, because as interesting as the background in this particular discussion is of where we got to and where we are now, Let's talk about the league as we watch the tail end of the Winter Classic with two teams, as I said, one who got swept by the Panthers, another who gave up a hat trick to Nolachari. So you can tell <laughs> what my thoughts on both of them are. Anyway, uh, in terms of this season, I always like asking about surprises because the NHL is a league where there's always somebody who defies logic and explanation, even if you could predict the Florida Panthers exactly as they go every single year and exactly how every single game is going to go. But for you, and you see these numbers, you digest them every day, Who's the biggest surprise, according to Sean Tierney, as we played about half of the season? Uh, a couple of teams from an underlying numbers point of view catch my eye as kind of surprises. I think the Islanders are doing, again, what they did last year, and I would have bet against that. And, um, you know, my model wasn't hot on them coming into the year again. And some of their underlying numbers, the sort of quality share and shot share, some of the things we look at is sort of those first-level indicators aren't really super positive this year, but their goaltending, even though Leonard left, has been a real savior. And um, so they've, they've really outperformed what I would have expected and continue to. Um, and much to my chagrin sometimes when I dare to point out that some of their underlying numbers aren't very strong, Islanders fans are you know quick to the defense of their team, which I understand when you get this long into defying uh, certain bedrock analytics that um, it kind of emboldens you to feel like maybe they're not as telltale as we think they are. So the Islanders would be one. Um, another team that catches my eye lately, especially, is the Los Angeles Kings. They've been totally sunk by their goaltending. But all the sort of team-level stuff, shot share and quality share, are all really strong positives, sort of pitching them as a top-10 team in the league. It's a really strange situation for them, and they haven't seen the results that uh, usually go with that kind of successful process underneath. Part of it is goaltending, part of it is shooting, um, but they're they're a solid team, oddly, and, and I wouldn't have seen that coming. And I think maybe the, the last one I would point out is the Senators um, show up in a really funny place in a few of my charts. One that I added that's new this year is quality per shot, where you're looking at the average shot that a team takes and how quality that shot is, how close to the net, all those sorts of things that go into expected goals. And despite the fact that the Senators are just sort of mid-pack in a lot of the advanced numbers, their quality per shot allowed and their quality per shot taken is really, really high. And so it suggests to me that there's something going on with DJ Smith's system with the team where they're really prioritizing prime areas of the ice. And I think 
uh, it's something that for an analyst would be really neat to dig into any of these three cases of teams what's going on on the ice that's leading to these numbers that are kind of surprising for all three teams. I, I find that the quality per shot is something I really would have liked to have had Yastier because then I could have yelled at Bob Bugner more because I kept yelling about that. It's like, I don't care what their shot metrics are. They take terrible shots and they give up great shots. And that was something that I kept saying repeatedly last year. I wish I had that metric last year because it would have been nice to elucidate a point. Sorry, Sharks fans. Now you have to deal with that too. Poor them. They deserve better than having to deal with Bob Bogner, as, as any Panthers fan will tell you. Uh, the other case, I think, it reminds me of a, of a, a team with goaltending. Panthers talk about Bobrovsky because early in the season, I don't know if it's cherry-picked, but we see the goals saved above average. It's a really tough stat to pin down, and we don't have the precise shot metrics. As you, I think we talked about with, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was might have been Dom. It might have been... Uh, someone else earlier in the year about the NHL getting the shot placement wrong, which kind of affected all of the metrics now that they're better. So that was one thing that was interesting when we started the season. And now the Sergei Bobrovsky question has been kind of divisive in Panther land because Bobrovsky has not been anywhere near $10 million worth of good. But I saw something, I think Ian Tullock put it up, but we don't have these publicly and I wish we did, uh, of Stephen Valaket talking about how Bobrovsky faced the highest quality shot load in the league which is something that we've been talking about here for a while. And that's kind of where that eye test versus analytics, where there's a middle ground that we haven't met yet. And I think with goaltending, it's the hardest to tell, like, what is on the defenses, what is on the goaltending. So when you look at that in the goaltending question, and you could frame it around Bobrovsky if you want, there still feels like something's missing there, and it's not the fullest metric, although it's it's better than it was. Do you feel that way when you look at goaltending? Because... The Bobrovsky question has been so fascinating for me this year and why I kind of feel like there's something that we still have to get that we don't quite have pinned down yet. Yeah, I think, like, you know, to Bobrovsky specifically, um, you know, the contract looks really ugly. He's been, as you noted, and as Panther fans will be well aware of, he's well been below expectation in terms of, you know, shots that he's faced and goals that he's given up. I think he's about... 11 goals above expected all situations right now and he, in his case in particular he's been really up and down he's had stretches where he's been um, above expectation for a couple of games here or there a stretch recently as well yep. and he's had several periods where he's been well well below including right after that last hot streak where he totally bottomed out and so you know for Bobrovsky in particular he's um, a really kind of you know, sort of a ulcer inducing case where you almost need antacid to watch what's going on. You just don't know what you're going to get. Is that Bobrovsky that has been a, a game stealer in the past or somebody who's going to totally sink your team? And to the point of the quality per shot, um, you know, Florida is allowing um, a sort of above average. I think it's a, yeah, I have them as a top eight team in terms of the quality per shot against that they're hey, allowing. Look at that. So, and so, you know, that speaks to the point too that. Uh, it can be difficult to adjust for the kind of workload that they're facing. Goal saved above expectation does do that a little bit. Florida is allowing about 2.8 expected goals per game, all situations against. It's not a particularly high number, but the quality per shot number is high. That suggests that when they are uh, you know, giving up shots to Bobrovsky, they're tougher than the average goalie is facing. So like you said, there, I think there's some place in between all of these stats where you can say, Bobrovsky hasn't been good. That's true. 
he's facing tough work and sort of tricky shots to stop. That's also true. And then, you know, you get a contract factor into there of a long-term deal and big money. And, and then that adds expectation that just hasn't been met. Um, the, the one thought I guess I would lop on to the end of this is um, I'm pretty hesitant or skeptical of what tracking data might ultimately offer to us, especially, especially in the public sphere, what we'll actually get access to. But knowing things about screens for goalies and east-west movement and what the crease area looks like if defensemen are clearing the crease or screening their own goalie, some of those things we have no way really to get at with the data that we have. And they'll add context to understanding, you know, performances like this for good goaltenders who all of a sudden look like they're not very good. So there's the potential there if we get access to this data that we'll be able to contextualize a little bit better than what we are right now. But, you know, we have what we have and what we have isn't super positive on Bobrovsky and, you know, just sort of hope for his sake and for Panthers fans sakes that it turns around as the season goes on. I think that Micah had his access. So we talked about pithy quotes. What was it? We may win, but I may die. That's basically every Panthers yeah. game. And you watch yeah, it over exactly. the weekend. It's like, just like, what are you, it's, I, what was the line about the Stanley Cup playoffs? It's like jumping out of an airplane from 30,000 feet while doing coke or something like that. That's basically yeah, every Panthers. Exactly. And that's every Panthers game at this point. You're just going, yeah. what in the world is going on? It wasn't like that last night. Uh, last night being the game against Columbus, which was just 100% expected and still painful as you sit there and watch it. But the Bobrovsky question is the one that I, it divided the fan base because some people like, it's all goaltending, Bobrovsky's terrible, etc. And then Tommy and I are going like, well, the defense is bad and they're giving up good shots. And then it's like, it's somewhere in the middle. And you see something like that from Stephen Valaket. And as I said, I wish we had that publicly because I would love to see it because something like that, if we had it, would be good to, like, as I said, like, that's what I said. It feels like something's missing with goaltending. Uh, in terms of other things around this season and, and the stats that you added, you added the quality per shot, which I really like. I think that really helps. I think that's one of the cooler axes, as you talked about. Is there anything else you added this year that's newer that you find that you're getting a lot of positive reception to? Yeah, uh, there's a couple of things. And, you know, again, being able to sort of focus on this full time, I can kind of get a little more nuanced with what I throw in into different spots. Um, I really like I've added um, Pythagorean win percentage, which is just a way of taking uh, goal differential, like run differential in baseball from Bill James and then applying it to hockey. And the point that I like with it most of all, and it's in the daily team charts too, um, without like, you know, getting too into the weeds of the calculation that goes with it, is just showing that the axis for um, win percentage, what actually happens for teams and the expectation um, is so different. Expectation from the top to the bottom of the league is fairly tight, about a 20% uh, difference from top to bottom. But then the actual results we get are more than 50 uh, sort of percentage points away from each other. And so all that I really love to point out with this chart, uh, at least for the moment, is the idea that teams can be very similarly talented and they can still wind up with really vastly different results because hockey has so much variance. And I don't think it's a point that can be beaten to the ground too much that, you know, the Red Wings are bad, but they're not as bad as they've looked. It's because some team has to win every game. And so you wind up with these results that are really far apart from expectation. And I, I just think that's interesting context to have. The other thing that's brand new on the site that I haven't been able to do for a couple of years, but I have now, uh, thanks to moneypuck.com's data, is rolling averages for players. 
And so that's something that I'm still building out. But we can get time on ice, expected goals percentage. I have Dom L's uh, game score in here, individual expected goals. Uh, and I'm going to continue to build that out as, as we go forward in the new year. And so we can see averages for players over time. I find that really uh, can help to contextualize what's going on over recent stretches of games, players that are coming on, players that are dropping off. Um, and so that's something that I'm still tinkering with, but it's a fun one. I've had good response from people that seem to like having that available. It's tricky to put together data-wise to get everybody in there in a game-by-game way, but it's something that we'll update on the site going forward too and has lots of insight to it. I like the ones for players because you have it. Unfortunately, it's behind a paywall, and I am poor, so I don't have enough money at this point to pay for all these sites, and I wish I did. Uh, but do I love it for teams with the rolling expected goals averages? It gives you an idea of here's how they're playing. Pythagorean win percentage is, is interesting, and it looks how like how tightly everybody's bunched up, but we can because the NHL is weird, like weirder than all these other sports because it's like a team can play well, reasonably well, and then get blown out for nothing because the other goalie had a heater or something to that effect, and that doesn't happen in many other sports. Like, football, if you're good, you're probably going to win. If you're ba- in basketball, you might have an off-shooting night, but you're still probably going to win if you play better. Same with baseball. Even soccer, to a lesser extent, you have that. But that's the, the thing with hockey is it's like everybody's a kind of tightly bunched in a, in a way because most hockey games are so competitive and close, but it's how it ends. Like, I've seen Panthers games this year. You're like, well, how did they score six here? They weren't actually playing the best. You know, there was games like that against Dallas. They scored seven, and they were just like, wait, they weren't playing that much better than the Stars. It was just voodoo for one night. Um, In terms of players, now that you have this individual rolling averages for players, uh, what about some of them this year? Impressive players and players that you think that aren't getting their due that should. Uh, There's one that I would like for to get more due amongst casual hockey fans, and you could probably figure out who that one is. Uh, Is there anybody who's like, okay, this isn't going to last? Maybe the answer to this question is, is Anthony Duclair actually good? And is somebody going to trade a first round pick for him? Well, so those are, I'll focus on that one first. I find it interesting, uh, you know, just particularly being in the Ottawa area myself. Um, Duclair is a really interesting case where, and the shot map tells us a bit of his story too, where he is generating um, chances to back up the goal scoring that he's doing. And so it's not completely uh, it's not completely a fluke, even though it looks fairly different from the kind of effort he's been able to put up in the past. Um, so is a team going to trade a first-round pick for him? I think somebody might panic and see, you know, he's already at 21 goals this season, so give him a little more time before the deadline. I think it's possible somebody will. Um, he's got 14.3 expected goals behind it, so, you know, he's shooting uh, almost 18%. That's not sustainable at all. But all of his goals, if you bring up his shot map, uh, he's scoring from right down sort of center high slot to crease area. And so, you know, it, it's not it's not a bad way to get your goals. It's a good way to do your scoring. His expected goal rate over time has been really consistently good with some really high peaks. And so, you know, for one season only, if this is the kind of guy you're going to add to your team because you need some scoring punch, you know, a contender with a 30, 30th overall kind of pick, I don't know. It's not a bad idea, probably, especially because those picks aren't really different in value, what we expect than a, a second rounder is once you get out that late. So I think somebody might. I think he might be worth it. And he, it's not the kind of performance I would bank on him repeating because he hasn't really shown this, you know, anything like this level of goal scoring in the past. 
and he is well above his XG in shooting 18%. So will he keep it up this year? Looks pretty good. Would I trade a late first for him? I, I Like, it's an overpay, but I might. But I wouldn't bet on him bringing, you know, rolling this back next year because it's just so out of line with his past performance. Well, maybe that's the thing because the Senators on, on the whole, I mean, I watched them play, you don't watch them very often, but when they played Florida, I watched them. Like, this team's not that bad. It's, it's amazing to think how bad we thought they were going to be. And they're getting individuals to play better. And you, you've probably seen it being in Ottawa. And that's, that's a good sign. And there was not a lot of good press for DJ Smith coming out of last season with how it ended with the Leafs. And also hiring Jack Capuano is something that I, following the Panthers, laughed at. But you know what? It's working right now. So kudos to them. What about other players? Players who you think they've been a little bit slow, but now you think maybe second half of the year breaking out. And then conversely, who's the opposite? Um, I guess, you know, sort of scanning the, the league wide, um, one person that, you know, has been horribly, I'm thinking of sort of goals above replacement, which is an evolving wild, uh, stat that people can check out on their site. Um, Jake Gardner has had just an absolutely abysmal start to the year for the hurricanes. And if you check out, um, his goals above replacements so sort of that one number to capture, all the stuff a player can do on ice. Uh, Jake Gardner is last in the NHL overall in uh, his actual goals above replacement value, which is just stunning. Um, if you dig through his profile a little deeper, look at his shot share, look at his expected goal share, dig through some of the process numbers that he has, he's right in the middle of the pack with what the other Carolina Hurricanes defensemen are doing. He's just been sunk by truly horrible uh, goal luck, goals against. And so... Um, he's somebody that his numbers are pointing in the right direction. He's definitely not the worst player in the NHL. He's no worse than a top three defenseman kind of on any team. And so as long as he's healthy, I would expect him to really, really bounce back in the second half because you know he looks like the same player. He's just had super bad luck in terms of goal scoring against. Um, and then a, a player, maybe while I'm on a, a Florida Panthers-friendly podcast, I think Huberdeau just can't be celebrated enough for what he's doing. Please, other people, I just wrote about it, and I love doing it because I was like, okay, no, he's, he's actually this good. And, uh, no, I'm happy you mentioned it. I was hinting at it, but he, he's been, like, if it wasn't for the fact that it's Florida and also he would never win the Hart this year, he should be in the Hart Trophy conversation. He's been that good. And, right, some, and from, from somebody who watches, what, what every game? You know, it's, it's, it's amazing to think how he actually got better after last year. And I'm so happy because he's the best thing ever. Right. And, and I think, you know, he set a standard last year that looked like that's uh, set up to come back down to earth. But again, you know, using that um, sort of goals above replacement as a, a place to start the conversation, he has the highest even strength offense uh, score in the league. So the, the number one is is a good place to be. And then I think what's even more telling than his offense, you know, coming back this year and being truly excellent, topped in the league at even strength, is that next up for him would be Dadnov, and then you get into Trocheck and that kind of uh, player. They've got about half the score on even strength offense that he does. So, you know, in a way, you can say he's been twice as good on offense as the next best offensive contributor on the team. It probably feels a little bit like that watching the Panthers play too, and and it, the numbers back it up. So. He's a, num a name that I would have predicted based on how strong he was last year to see him come back down to earth a little bit this year, still be a great player, still be a top player, 
but I wouldn't have predicted he would lead the league in even strength offense, and that's where he's at. So, like you said, sometimes Florida doesn't get all the attention that they deserve with national media, but he deserves a lot more shout-out for what he's doing on offense. Hopefully he gets it now that he's going to be at the All-Star game, and that, that's deserved for him. And it's also interesting because it's like, you use a Panthers fan, and I know most of you watch a lot of these games are like, okay, the top line's good and everybody else is bleh. Uh, that's, that's not new. But Huberto, it stood out. It's just been so great to watch him get even better. He's going to be the all-time Panthers point scorer uh, by the time the road trip ends, perhaps. It's seven points away from it or eight points away from it, something crazy. Uh, in terms of players who have kind of gone on a bit of a heater and you don't expect to continue on that path, who might be some that you've seen around the league this year? Uh, there's, I'm sort of looking through. I like the goals above replacement as a, a place to start that. Um Brian Rust catches my eye, and well, I know Don L. need him to be because they have nobody else. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, that's that's becoming just crazy, the amount of injuries well, they've had. Well, I also saw last night Columbus was, was like 10 forwards out to the injury. And yeah. So and they're not the wild. only ones, but I, I feel legitimately bad watching. Like, you know, you see these – and injury is another thing. You, you can't quantify it. Some it's, Sometimes it's voodoo, but boy. Right. And, and luck I, is hilarious. And like you said, for both those teams, the Blue Jackets and the Penguins, it's, it's pretty incredible that both teams are doing what they're doing, despite the fact that they've had you know half their forward cores out for, for much of the year. And so when I look at Brian Rust, there's numbers underneath that support, especially his goal scoring. His expected goal rate is high. Um, he did have some really positive possession numbers last year leading into this year. But by goals above replacement, he's top 10 in the NHL right now. I'm not sure that I buy that Brian Rust is a top 10 NHL player by the time we get to the end of the year, especially if that Penguins roster doesn't get healthy to kind of insulate him with some quality around. If teams start keying on him, uh, I would just be sort of interested to see what he can keep up. But he's you know, been an incredibly pleasant surprise for them when they've needed it. And another name that just I'm curious about and maybe a bit skeptical is another Penguin John Marino has been fantastic. Have you seen some people like going colder stuff for him? I've seen that a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if you're just going sort of advanced data, the numbers are all there to support him. Um, But, you know, I'm not sure about the pedigree behind his name coming into this season. He's not somebody that anybody was talking about at all as an NHL regular, really, let alone a top defenseman, let alone a rookie of the year candidate. And so all the numbers are there right now. You can't question that. It's just a player who catches my eye on the top right of all my scatter plots right now. It surprises me every time I see him there. And I'm just interested to see as he gets his second tour around the league in the back half. Is this a player, especially on an injury-ravaged team, that can keep up the performance? I hope he can. His numbers look really good. It's just a super big surprise to see, you know, Victor Hedman, Austin Matthews, John Marino, Connor McDavid, and that's the list of, you know, names around him. So we'll see if he can keep it up. You know what's else, you know who else is there? And I'm sure that some Panthers fans are going to love this. I love seeing Jared McCann there. Right. <laughs> I know. Yeah. No, that yeah. trade, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that trade, and people can say what they want about it. But, I mean, it's good to see him succeed. He, again, it's one of those, maybe, you, maybe it's a Panthers thing. Actually, it is a Panthers thing. I will go for that. I also want to talk about a team, the team, I think it was you that said, they break all my charts. I want to talk about the Rangers, because if you want to talk about we may win, but I might die, I mean, the Panthers might be a lot of that, but the Rangers are like, they're off every single one of your charts. Like, you also have the shaded gray, which is standard deviation, which is a stats term for basically, here's what we reasonably could expect. And then if you're not in that, something wild's happening, and the Rangers have broken, like, every one of your charts. 
Do you, do you have any funny yeah. stories about the Rangers this season? Because of, uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the chart-breaking stuff that they do. I'm not sure if it's funny or if it's sad or, you know, what it says about the state of my uh, my life and condition, but um, the Rangers have become my sort of sobriety check in the morning to make sure that uh, they haven't slipped off. And over the first couple of months, um, in the morning, I would tweet out the updated charts and do a team thread, which I like to do each day. And, you know, one out of every three or four days, a Ranger fan would show up immediately saying, where are the Rangers? And, you know, true enough, they had slipped off into the bad um, area, the bottom left of the charts. They've been historically bad. And, and I've sort of touched on this in a couple of their spots as the season has gone on. They've posted the highest expected goal rate against in the history of modern stats. So we can go back to 2007, uh, 2007, uh, 2008 as the first year where we have advanced data. They've got the highest expected goals rate of any team in those 393 team seasons so far. So, you know, when I'm setting up these axes for all my charts, you're sort of working with the reasonable range of numbers. And then you expand a little bit to make sure, you know, especially early in the year, you can capture just how bad teams might be early on. The Rangers just don't care. They continue to ride the outer edges of all my charts. Uh, they make the San Jose Sharks goaltending look normal by being so far out in all my plots. And every day I'm just horrified that that logo there is going to slip off the, the down and bottom left edges of my charts. So um, they hate me, I think. They definitely hate my scatter plots and the feelings becoming mutual. Do you have nightmares about that? Yeah, I mean, and they're not... Again, I don't want to, you know, pitch my life as the kind of crazy thing it's become. But, yeah, you have nightmares of that Rangers word mark on the diagonal just slipping off into the night, and I can't find them. Oh, no. We've lost our Rangers in the night. Somebody go help find <laughs> Capo Caco. Please save him. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, and I think he's going to need a, a lot of help to come back, too. He's a player who's way out to the bottom and left of all my yeah, turns, that's too. Yeah, that's one of those. It's like just individual players are like, wait a minute, where is he now? Like, right, and I remember, you know, in the off season, there was a lot of Hughes-Caco debate, and Hughes coming out of maybe an inferior development program, and you know, Hughes hasn't been a world beater, um, you know, by and large either. But what Caco's gone through this year has been just so rough and painful to see. I think he's a promising player in the long run, but it hasn't looked good so far. Can we please save him and trade him to Florida so we can play for with another great Finn. I say that about every single Finnish player that's in trouble, and I'm like, trade him to Florida, put him with Barkov, and magic will happen. So that's well, just running, I support you. That's just a running joke on this show that I always do. Uh, but also, I mean, there's also, you know, you, you think about, hey, somebody said U.S. Men's National Team Development Program isn't that great. I think one Mr. Thomas Krulikowski probably said that at some point. Funny, funny that. So what do you, as we wrap this up, as the Stars have officially won the uh, Winter Classic, and by the way, Winter Classic things that need to happen in the future. There needs to be an away section at every single Winter Classic going forward because that made the game a heck of a lot better and also gives me pause as to what might life be like when a Panthers-Lightning Stadium Series game, which is going to eventually happen. Uh, But for the rest of the season, is there one trend that you want to see as elucidated on, or is there a big question that you don't have answered that you think is going to tell us a lot about the season going forward? Is there one thing you're keying in on as we now head into the second half of the season? I think maybe just one other thing that really catches my eye that I'm going to be watching is the Vegas Golden Knights, who... Oh, great. Um, them. Yeah, exactly. I, I, um, I haven't heard about them before. 
Right, yeah, no connection to the Florida Panthers there well, for sure. Well, again, um, Adnolf and Hoffman or Marcia Owen-Smith. Also, the Golden Knights right. are a better team. It's, it's, yeah. it's, again, two years ago, people. Quit it with this already, please. There's no need. And I won't name drop any names that could be sensitive, but, uh, you know, as a team, especially at even strength, their numbers look really, really sharp, you know, top of the league offensively and, and decent defensively or good defensively too. And somehow at even strength, they have a negative goal differential and it boggles my mind every morning. So, uh, you know, the, the Pacific isn't strong so far this year. And the West is kind of wide open a little bit. And so they're a team I've, I just got my eyes on. I think that they're a top team and a contender in the long run. And the West, there's lots of room to move around. So I'll have my eye on them to see uh, just how the back half of the year goes. And I'll make sure that I never mention uh, any names with connections oh, no, to it's, Panthers. It's, it's, a running, it's a running joke. I mean, I don't, I don't mind it. I just get sick of having to relitigate that every single time it's mentioned. <laughs> and it's just it's like, guys, it's two and a half years ago. And as I still say, I'm like, I would still be okay with getting Dadnoff and Hoffman, and they did. But and, and, and on the Panthers, and we'll end on this because they have to, uh, this is a team is they were very good at possession early on. They're not great now. They're not bad by any means other than their goaltending, which is obviously it isn't great, but it wasn't as bad as it was before, and Bobrovsky could go on a heater at any time. This, they're a bubble team. They still are a bubble team. I thought they were going to be a bubble team before the season. Uh, they're getting really good performance out of some players, and then the back end of their roster is poor. I was about to say, like, how could uh, Jake Garter be worse than Josh Brown, who is the Y-Hockey whipping boy? Sorry, Josh. Uh, and sorry to the people who are tweeting at the Y-Hockey account with that. Um, <laughs> what do you think about this team? I think they might have enough to get in because just there's a lot of other weird stuff going on at the bottom of the East playoff race. But for me, there's not a lot else I could say about them other than they kind of are what I expected. Are they what you expected them to be? Yeah, in my preseason projections, I had them as a, something like a 92-point, maybe as high as 94-point team, I think is where I had them placed in the summer. And so that's bubble territory for sure. Um, and they've had a couple of you know sort of blips up, blips down. But basically, on the whole, they're right around the origin, they're right around the hash marks on all my charts, sort of around an average team over time if you look at expected goal share um, they tip up they tip down a little bit but they basically hang around break even so it's a team that you know is one Bobrovsky hot streak away from being an eighth seed in the east or a seventh seed maybe in a good situation and they're you know a continued rough streak from Bobrovsky from just dropping out of the picture altogether so uh, they would be about as close as I can see to a coin flip on a playoff picture for them right on the bubble and uh, just kind of break even, which isn't the sexiest answer to give at the end of a podcast. Well, no, it's, but It's true, though. I mean, I, I can't put it any better than you put it. Like, right. And, and I think there are pieces in place. Um, you know, I, I think if you're betting on a goalie who might go on a hot run, Bobrovsky's not a bad place to place that bet. There are some offensive pieces in place that could get moving to support Huberdeau. If that happens, you know, it's a team that can make some – some noise at the bottom of the Eastern playoff picture, ultimately not a contending team, ultimately not going to go for a lottery pick either. So kind of just a season in the middle. And well, that's know, where the Florida Panthers luck. always are. I think I've said <laughs> that before. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, also trade for a defenseman, please trade for a defenseman already. I can't keep saying this. I feel like rain man, like the Rangers are your rain man. And to me, it's the Panthers of like, just trade for Sammy Votnin already. And please help. All of us here, I don't have to write that column anymore. 
That's the thing I, I, I just dread because I had to write a piece where I was basically making Seinfeld references the whole time because like, I can't say this anymore. I've said it already. Uh, Sean, <laughs> thank you so much for spending part of your New Year's Day with us here. Uh, please tell the people where they can find you if they haven't already found you and if they follow me or they follow Tommy or Why Hockey. I'm assuming they have, but just in case they haven't. Uh, so you can find me uh, at Charting Hockey on Twitter and you can follow me there. I, I tweet out a bunch of the work I do so you can follow along. Uh, and as you mentioned at the top of the podcast, I have a website as of this year. So you can go to chartinghockey.ca and check out all the graphs that I have there. There is a, a subscriber section, but lots of what I do is uh, just sort of public and free and daily updated stuff. So you can go and uh Use it to write articles, use it to prove yourself right, or to yell at people on Twitter, or however you see fit. Um, for me, I use it to write my articles every single week that the Panthers need a defenseman. And basically, I'm sorry, I wish I could use your work in a more glorious way than that, but it's basically what it's come to. Except, I think it's the perfect use. <laughs> well, I think, well, we've been more recently saying Jonathan Huberto individually has a higher expected goals for than Connor McDavid, so there you go. But that's, that's cherry-picked. I just like that because it made me laugh. Uh, anyway, Sean been so great to have you on appreciate it we will have more on why hockey soon maybe sooner if the panthers trade for defensemen i can't say that enough but uh, until then happy new year <laughs>